following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Today we're going to look at why the largest growing segment in the Christian church are the Pentecostals. How many of you were aware that, that today in the world there are somewhere between 600 to 700 million Pentecostals and it is by far the largest growing segment of the Christian community. The Pentecostals are taken over. Matter of fact, when you look across the world, uh, most of the world's largest churches are Pentecostals. So the largest church in Australia is a Pentecostal church, Hillsong Church. The largest church is a Pentecostal church. So, so why are the Pentecostals growing? Why are the Pentecostals the biggest force in Christian missions today? Why are the Pentecostals seeing more people saved than any of the other evangelical churches? What is it about the Pentecostal churches that distinguish them from evangelical churches? And the answer to that is one simple answer, and that is this experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This experience that Pentecostals talk about, which is subsequent to conversion. See, Pentecostals believe in two very distinct experiences for Christians. One is called conversion, and uh, that happens when people respond to the gospel. So I preached the gospel just earlier on, just five minutes, ten minutes, preached the gospel, and four people responded today. That's awesome. So the Bible calls that conversion. How many of you have been converted? Great. So then after conversion, not before, but after conversion, there's this subsequent experience that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it happened to the disciples, not just the apostles, but the disciples. There are 120 of them that were gathered. They were all Christians. They were already born again. They were already converted. But on this particular day, the day of Pentecost, let's read it together in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Something supernatural happened. Everybody say supernatural. Because that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It is supernatural. It is beyond natural experience. This is what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. How many of you know that in itself is a big clue? One accord, one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And... They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. Now, let's note, first of all, that when you encounter the Holy Spirit, something supernatural happens. So too, too many of us want to live in the natural realm rather than the spirit realm. And so if you're going to live in the natural realm, nothing supernatural happens. 
But if you want to launch into the spirit realm, get ready for something supernatural to happen. Can anybody say amen to that? And so what happens with us, a lot of us love the land of control. We love to be in control. We love everything done so that we are in control. But let me tell you, when you were launching into this subsequent experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, guess who's in control? The Holy Spirit's in control. And so you're going to expect for Him to do something in your life that you might not find comfortable, but you have to sort of give Him control. Turn to the person next to you and say, give him control. That's what happened there. And so, and so the evidence for these people that the Holy Spirit was in control was that they stopped speaking languages that they were able to control. And the Holy Spirit began to speak through them languages that he could control. And so that in itself is a huge step for the average Australian. Because we love to be in control. And so let me tell you that if you love being in control, you're going to struggle with this. And a lot of people struggle with this because they love to be in control. It's when you give control to the Holy Spirit that something supernatural begins to happen. Okay, so you say, well, John, what's the purpose of Pentecost? Let me give it to you short, sharp, and shiny. Here it is. The first purpose of Pentecost is to empower believers to share Jesus. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So purpose number one for receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power to witness. He said, what if I don't want power to witness? Then don't ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. So if you're happy to do it in your power, if you're happy to do it in your strength, well, make sure that you're saved because all saved people get to heaven. But then there is a certain type of person. We call them disciples, not just converts. They've gone past, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me having my sins forgiven, it's about me being saved, it's about me getting to heaven. That's the convert. Then there's another line that you step over and you become a disciple and you start saying, you know what, it's not about me. It starts with me, but it doesn't finish with me. Now it's about others. It's not just about me being saved. It's about others getting saved. It's not just about me going to heaven. It's about others going to heaven. It's not just about me having my sins forgiven. It's about others having their sins forgiven. And I want to be empowered to share this. And so they start asking God, I don't want to do this just in my strength. I want to do it in your strength. And the Bible says there is this experience. There's this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And when you've had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. 
And that's why when you hear a Pentecostal preacher preaching, you can see the power of God upon their lives. You can sense this is not just boring homilies. See, we don't do talks. We Pentecostal don't do talks. We preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. We just don't do sermonettes for Christianettes. We... (laughs) Oh, where did that come from? Man, I tell you, when you hear a Pentecostal preacher, something happens. There is a communication in the power of the Spirit. The second, the second purpose of the Spirit is that it enables you to become people of the Spirit. Can you understand what I'm saying here when, you, when I talk about people of the Spirit? Because this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. So, so they were shocked. The people in Jerusalem were shocked with what took place. They didn't understand it. How many of you know that people don't understand Pentecostal churches? How many of you know the first impression by most people that come into a Pentecostal church is shock? They go, what are these people about? Why, why are they loud? Why are they crazy? Why have they got their hands? How many of you have found your friends say stuff like that? We'll be a lot more sedate next week just to sort of settle them down for one week. And then we go back to being crazy the week after. It's okay. But the point that I'm making is this, is that people of the spirit are very different to the people that are not of the spirit. And if you have people that are not of the Spirit, when they encounter people of the Spirit, they'll see that there's something different about them. So this is what Peter then begins to say on the day of Pentecost. They said, well, what is going on? Are you guys drunk? What what is going on here? And then Peter says, these are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel all those years ago, those hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Joel prophesied that this day was coming when, here it is in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. It just about covers it all. It covers the men, the women, the young men, the young women, the old men, the old women. Is there anyone here that feels left out that we haven't covered yet? Either a young man or a young woman. You're either an old man or an old woman. You're either a male or a female. Anything left out? Okay, good. Nothing's left out. You're all included. And what happens is that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, something begins to happen to you. And one of the things that begins to happen is called divine articulation. You'll begin to articulate something divine, whether it's prophecy, whether it's visions, whether it's dreams, whether it's spirit connection, something will begin to happen. You cannot have the Holy Spirit come upon you and you stay the same. And spirit people speak spirit language. Spirit people speak spirit things. 
and it's outside of the natural realm and into the spiritual realm. And God gives us this ability to touch into the spirit realm. That's the purpose, power to witness and power to be a spiritual person. Then move on to examples of this experience. The New Testament is filled with illustrations and example of this experience. The day of Pentecost is number one. So what you see on the day of Pentecost is the disciples being saved during the ministry of Jesus. Matter of fact, they received the Holy Spirit on the resurrection day. When Jesus rose from the dead, he called his apostles together and breathed upon them and said, now receive the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't until 50 days later that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, but they received the spirit of conversion on the day of resurrection, which is New Testament conversion. Then 50 days later, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What you see there is what we call subsequence, experience of conversion, New Testament conversion on the day of the resurrection. 50 days later, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is subsequence, two separate experiences. For anybody to say that the disciples were saved on the day of Pentecost, they don't know what they're talking about. Then the second illustration is in Acts chapter 8, where Philip goes to Samaria. And so he preaches the gospel to them. They all get saved. They all get baptized. Then Peter and John hear about it. They decide, oh, wow, the Samaritan people now have been saved. We've got a church in Samaria. Why don't we go and pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because Jesus said they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're going to be able to witness. Why don't we give them what we've got so that the church in Samaria can be just as powerful as we are? Hello? You say, what does it say that? Well, that's the logic of it all. How simple is it? It's already there. That's the logic. Why would they have gone there if they didn't have a purpose? And the purpose was We want those Christians in Samaria to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John go pray for them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. What you see is subsequence again. You see, they get saved under Philip's ministry. They get filled with the Holy Spirit under Peter and John's ministry. Then it takes us to the next chapter, Acts chapter 9. Well, what happened in Acts chapter 9? This is a story of the conversion of Saul. You You know what happened to Saul? Here he is on the way to Damascus to kill some Christians. On the way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him. He falls to the ground and gets radically saved. To this day, we call a person's conversion experience a Damascus Road experience. Three days later, Ananias, a disciple, comes through a vision to say, go pray for Paul, pray for him. For what? Well, he's already been saved, so that's not what you need to do. What you need to do is to pray for him, to baptize, and to pray that he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. So three days after his conversion, Paul gets filled with the Holy Spirit. You can read it in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So that's the third illustration so far. What's the fourth illustration? Well, in Acts chapter 10, the Italians come into the story. I love this. Come on, Rocco. Come on, Olga. Support me there a little bit. Come on, say, preach it, John. I just love this, that when when God looked at the Gentiles, he thought, of the Gentiles, who should be the first to get filled with the Holy Spirit? Those rotten, filthy Italians, they're the worst. They need to get right to the front of the line. And so he's Cornelius and his household, a Roman centurion. 
And, uh, and, and so you read it in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to preach the gospel to them. And as, preachers, as Peter's preaching the gospel, these guys were so ripe, they received the gospel. And then bang, straight away, they get filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in other tongues. And you've got this incredible story of, of, uh, of, of Cornelius' household. And then what's funny about this story is is they couldn't believe that Gentiles could get saved. It was like, what? Italians got saved? And Peter says, not only did they get saved, but they got filled with the Spirit. What? Saved and filled with the Spirit? How do you know? Well, they spoke in other tongues just as we did. That's how we know they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They did what? Are you kidding me? Wow, that wrecks up our whole theology. Italians can get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. That, and so, well, well, maybe then God wants to save Gentiles then. Yes. <laughs> Come on, guys. Get the gospel out to the farthest ends of the earth. And then you've got the illustration in Acts chapter 19 with these disciples in the city of Ephesus that Paul finds. He finds these 12 guys and, and uh, they said, well, we're disciples. And, and, and so... What an interesting question that Paul asked these guys. Okay, so you call yourselves disciples. Here's here's a question for you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit since, better translation is after you believed? They go, the Holy what? The Holy Spirit. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, then, then, then what were you saved under? What baptism were you baptized under? Talk to me about your conversion experience. Well, the only, the only conversion experience we know is John the Baptist, and he, he preached a message of repentance. Paul says, oh, okay, okay. So that was, whew, that was a preparation message for the real message. And so Paul then preaches the gospel to them. He says, see, John was preparing for Jesus. John was preparing for the cross. And so when they heard the gospel, they all got saved. Then they get baptized. How many of you know you can't get baptized until you were saved? You first get saved, then you get baptized, which is immersion in water. And then when they come up out of the water, here's Paul praying for them, and they received that subsequent experience called the baptism and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, they started to speak in other tongues. They started to prophesy. That whole spirit articulation started to come out of their mouths. That's the fifth illustration. You say, there's a one more. Yeah, there's one more. You say, what? what? It's Corinthians, the church in Corinth. My goodness, these guys were just overboard in their spirit articulation. And Paul writes to them in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14 to correct some of their excesses. But these people were filled with the Spirit. It was a Pentecostal church in extreme that Paul had to bring some balance to. But here you've got six illustrations. So for anybody to say that this, and, and let me tell you, it's, it, there are many, many decades in between the first and the last illustration. So let's move on as to why speaking in tongues is important to us Pentecostals. It defines us. How many of you want to know why we Pentecostals speak in tongues? Well, let me tell you why. Reason number one is that it is a special sign that Jesus promised us. You say, what a special sign that Jesus promised? Where did Jesus talk about this? In Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, it says this, These signs 
shall follow those who believe. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. So Jesus introduced this. Jesus set them up for this. Jesus already told us that we were going to speak in other tongues. It's a sign. It's a sign that I'm a Jesus follower. It's also a sign that I'm a spirit-filled Christian. When a sign is given to you, don't negate it, but just live with it. Secondly, it's a special prayer language. I love this. Not only is it a sign, the, the reason I speak in tongues, it's a sign that I'm a Jesus follower. It's a sign that I believe in Him. It's a sign that I'm Spirit-filled. But secondly, the reason I speak in other tongues is because it's a prayer language. It's a language that has been given to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. Can you give me five more minutes, Dan? So if you just sit down and in five more minutes you can come up. You're, you're such a wonderful servant. I love, how many of you love Dan's spirit? Just a great, wonderful servant. Got your attention. <laughs> it's a prayer language. This is, what, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 to 5. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Let me just press pause there for a second. You say, why pause? Because there's the gift of tongues, and there's the prayer language of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is very different, because the gift of tongues is to people. If, if you want to know the correct terminology, one is glossolalia, the other is xenolalia. Glossolalia is the prayer language. Xenolalia is the gift of speaking in tongues in human languages. My mother-in-law had that gift when she was in Kazakhstan. What an incredible... Mum, just come forward quickly and just... My mother-in-law, come on down. Because uh, where's, where's the microphone? <clears throat> Here it is. You weren't expecting this, were you, Mum? This is my mother-in-law. Everybody say, hello, Joyce. But why don't you tell them the story about what happened to you in Kazakhstan when you prayed for that lady? We were ministering in Kazakhstan, and the service had finished, and we called people forward for prayer. And after the prayer, the lady pastor said to me, please would you pray for me? She said, I'm seven months pregnant, and I'm getting very fearful. Eighteen months previously, her three-month-old son died in her arms, and they found out that he'd had a heart complaint which hadn't been noticed. And now she was seven months pregnant, and she was very fearful. And so I called Peter, and we laid hands on her. And I put my hand on her stomach, and... I was praying for her, and then I began to pray in tongues. And in my mind, I was saying, Lord, let this be a perfect child. Let this be a normal delivery. Let there be no more problem, and take all her doubts and fears away. When I finished praying, she was making a commotion. She was crying, she was laughing, and in her broken English, she said, something wonderful has happened. 
She said, in the middle of you praying for me, you spoke in perfect Russian. And you said, do not fear anymore. You will have a perfect child and you will have a perfect delivery. And that was just what she needed. And two months later, when we arrived back in Australia, we had a message to say she'd had a perfect baby girl and everything went well. Praise God. See, that gift, that gift is directed to people. It was a message of encouragement to people. We call that the gift of tongues. So what happens there was that my mother-in-law received this special gift from the Holy Spirit as the gift of tongues. And it was a sign for that lady that God was on her case. But when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it says, when someone speaks in an unknown tongue, they're not speaking to people, they're speaking to God. So then what we do is that we separate the two gifts. One is the gift of tongues to people. The other is the prayer language to God. And so we Pentecostals believe that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we all get the prayer language, not necessarily the gift of tongues, but the prayer language of tongues which is directed to God. And so then there's a whole bunch of teaching on speaking to God, communing to God in the spiritual mother tongue. Everybody say the mother tongue. How many of you know it's a wonderful thing to be given the spirit mother tongue? And, and how many of you know that as spirit people, there is this opportunity to receive the spirit mother tongue with which we can communicate with our spirit to God. You say, why do we need to do that? Well, Paul gives us just a tiny insight of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where he says that sometimes you do not know what you should pray for. How many of you have ever been into that? How many of you have ever been there? That sometimes you don't know what to pray for. You sort of, you've, you've basically gotten to the end of your English or whatever language you speak in and sort of think, um, well, that was 37 seconds. I, uh, what, what do I pray for next? And the Holy Spirit says, man, I'm not even warmed up yet. Huh? Come on. And that's where you begin to launch out in this language of the Spirit and you begin to speak because the Paul says that sometimes we don't know what we, ought to, what, what we should pray for. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit within us begins to pray. Then Paul describes this as mysteries, that when we speak to God, we speak as if it were mysteries. How many of you know what a mystery is? A mystery is something that you don't know until you get the revelation. And then once you got the revelation, there's no mystery anymore. How many of you know there's a lot of things that are mysteries? Matter of fact, for some of you sitting there, maybe this whole message is a mystery to you. It's like, what is he talking about? Well, I'm going to pray for God to give you revelation so that the mystery becomes clear. And with some of you, it was a mystery the first time you came to our church, but it's no longer 
a mystery, now it's revelation. And I really believe there's lots of things that are in front of us that are mysteries now. And what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, He wants us to pray about things that are going to happen that are mysteries now that one day will become revelations. And what a wonderful day it will be. Something about the future, something about the extension of the kingdom, something about the devil being defeated, something about the awesome presence and power of God coming upon this planet. You don't know what it is, but the Spirit does. And as you begin to pray, you pray mysteries to God. And then the third way that the Bible describes this prayer language, not only do I speak to God, not only do I speak mysteries, but I also speak blessing. In 1 Corinthians 14, 16, it says, I bless with the Spirit. What a wonderful thing it is to bless with the Spirit. You can come up now, Dan. Bless with, I'm going to bless you. Bless with the Spirit, because that's how we worship. There's something about worshiping God, blessing Him. And, and I don't know about you, but my human vocabulary is limited, but the Spirit vocabulary is unlimited. And to be able to worship God in the Spirit, to be able to bless Him in the Spirit, what a wonderful thing that is, to be able to bless God with the Spirit. And then the third thing, why I speak in tongues. So the third thing, what was the first one? Well, remember I said it, it was a special sign. Remember the second thing I said, it was a special prayer language. And the third thing is that it's a special way to empower me. It's God's special way to empower me. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That word edify means to build up. It actually gives the illustration of a builder going to a home and putting on the extensions making it bigger, getting out all the stuff that's weak and insipid and building it up, building it up, building it up into a huge temple for God. I don't want to be a small, weak Christian. I want a mighty temple of the Holy Spirit. And every time I speak in the language of the Spirit, I'm building myself up. I'm making myself bigger. I'm making myself larger. For what? For greater capacity for the things of God. And whenever I give out to others, then what I do is that I need to get refilled. And so Paul talks about it to be constantly filled with the Spirit. And so through me praying in the Spirit, I get enlarged, enlarged, and I get filled. I get enlarged and I get filled. What a wonderful thing to begin to pray in the Spirit and say, God, I want to be a bigger house for you. I want to be a bigger minister for you. I want to be enlarged by you. And then saying, Lord, fill me afresh. Enlarge and infill. So I get bigger and more full. Bigger and more full. And when I give out, well, then I ask God to fill me afresh so that I can give more. And I can pray, Lord, enlarge me so that I can give heaps more. And that's what the language of the Spirit is, my friends. This should never be seen as an optional extra to the disciple. This should never be seen as, well, you Pentecostals, you believe in this, but we don't need it. It was not given to us if it was not meant to be used. And so here we are on the day of Pentecost. And I want to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for people today that have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Just to invite you, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want this subsequent experience? You say, John, you don't know how many times I've prayed for it. Well, let, let, let me tell you how I launched, 
how I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I'm, I'm a little bit sort of from the land of control. And, uh, and, and I wanted God to do it all. So, so for me, I got filled with the Holy Spirit on the 25th of May, 1975. So it's 38 years ago that I got filled with the Holy Spirit. My goodness, what a difference it made in my life. Honestly, the day before I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was an insipid, weak Christian. Seriously, I was a secret Christian. Nobody knew that I was a Christian. I kept the secret really well. On Sundays, I'd be in church, you know, doing all the the Sunday stuff. But at school, nobody knew I was a Christian. I was very weak in that respect. That weekend when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, my whole life changed. I went from being a weak, insipid Christian to being a fireball Christian. I wanted to win the whole world to Jesus. I got in trouble at school for preaching the gospel in the middle of class. I'm passing notes and all sorts of stuff. It was just, it was just a huge change for me. And, and I really believe that that experience launched me into the ministry and it still kept the fire there all these years later. So, but you've got to want that. You've got to want that change. You've got, if you don't want that change, then, then don't pursue that because you're content. And if you're content, there's no need to move forward. But you know what? Today, the Holy Spirit is here saying, are you content or do you want more? Are you content with the power that you have or do you want more? And so I, I can still remember thinking to myself, I feel the Holy Spirit all over me. And I feel, and I sense this language that wants to come out of my mouth, but am I making it up? And I, and I battle this, is it me, is it God, is it me, is it God, is it me, is it God, is it me, is it God? Because I didn't want to make it up. I didn't want to be fake. I didn't want this thing to be something that I did by myself. I wanted it to be real. And so after this battle with, is it me, is it God? But I've been praying, Holy Spirit, fill me. And he's given me these words to articulate. I launched out and I articulated the words that he gave me as I'm doing right now. What's happening right now is this. The Holy Spirit is giving me words in English to articulate. And I am speaking those words. If I want to, I can stop speaking. I'll show you. Did you clap then, John? That got me to speak up again. So I can either stop or I can go. It's me, but it's the Holy Spirit inspiring me. That's exactly the way that it is in other tongues. The Holy Spirit gives you the words and you either articulate or you don't. It's up to you. It's, it's your choice. He said, but I want him to move my tongue up and down. That's not the way that it works. He said, but someone said that's what happened to them. Look, I, I, you know, I, I'm not here to, to push up or push down anybody's experience. I'm just saying that for most people that I know, including me, I had to launch out. I had to speak. They spoke. You speak the language that God gives you. And that's part of you just, just putting the control aside and saying, Holy Spirit, just work within me. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 